There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... You never know what someone might be hiding beneath their friendly exterior. On January 24th, 1986, a man who was described favorably was arrested for being a serial rapist. A man who, police believed, was actually the serial killer whom they had been looking for. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Very little is known about Anthony McKnight's early life. We know he was born sometime in 1954, that he enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1982, that he also enlisted in the Navy and later served in a station in San Francisco, California, and that in 1982, he was arrested by Oakland police for trying to rape a girl who refused to have sex with him. Not convicted and simply having to pay a fine, his information was thankfully entered into the sex offender database and his prints were placed in the U.S. criminal database. Settling down the following year, Anthony got married, had a child, and was known by everyone as lively, friendly, and an extremely popular man. A man who, no one knew, was a registered sex offender and an active serial rapist. The first woman he attacked was on the outskirts of one of the western districts of Oakland. She was stabbed in the neck and chest, raped until unconscious, and left alone until someone happened upon the scene and took her to the hospital. A few days later, he raped another young woman at a construction site, but thankfully, she was able to escape her attacker and hide in a drainage ditch until he left and she could call the police. In December of 1985, he carried out two similar attacks, leaving one girl behind with 10 stab wounds and stabbing the other in the face, both of which survived and gave police a description of their attacker, his car, and part of his license plate number. And that January, he raped another victim who he attempted to strangle to death. She too survived the terrifying attack. Because he left these women alive and able to go to the police, investigators began tracking down the owners of their suspect's car, and Anthony McKnight was soon brought into the station to be interrogated. He denied attacking anyone, and because there was not enough evidence to arrest him, he was eventually released. However, when police showed his photo to three of his victims, and all three identified him as their rapist, Anthony was arrested on January 24th, 1986. Though he denied any involvement in the cases, just two days after his arrest, Investigators named him as a suspect in seven, quote, identical rape slayings that had occurred in the Oakland area, a serial killer they had been looking for for quite some time. Pointing out the similarities between the murders and the attacks on the survivors, the very clear M.O., and his criminal background, Anthony became their prime suspect. The problem was, there was not really any evidence connecting him to the crimes, so at the time, all he could be charged with were the rapes and the attempted murders. Once he landed behind bars awaiting his trial, the Oakland serial killings abruptly stopped. Still convinced that he was their killer, police continued their investigation, and Anthony, matched via blood count to the rapist, was found guilty on August 24, 1987, 
of several cases of kidnapping, assault, rape, and attempted murder. He was sentenced to 63 years in prison. With their prime suspect now safely behind bars, 12 years into his sentence, police tried to again tie Anthony to the unsolved Oakland area murders. Getting permission to get a DNA sample and enter it into CODIS, Anthony willingly gave up his blood and saliva samples that, in the next handful of years, tied him to five rapes and murders. The first was 22-year-old Betty Stewart, whose throat was slit on September 22, 1985. Then 17-year-old Diana Stone, who was found at a school with a knife wound to the neck on September 29. 13-year-old Talita Dixon, who was killed on October 8, 1985. And then 18-year-old Monica Davis, who was bludgeoned to death on December 9, 1985. The last victim that could be connected to Anthony McKnight was 24-year-old Beverly Bryant, who was beaten to death on Christmas morning in 1985. Charged in June of 1999, Anthony, according to investigators, raped and murdered each of these girls and managed to get away with it due to the fact that DNA testing at the time was not a common tool used to solve crimes. While they were certain that he was guilty, it would not be until 2008 that he finally faced the courts for the murders. Beginning in August of 2008, Anthony, charged with all five murders, now faced the death penalty. Pleading not guilty on all charges, the prosecution presented the overwhelming DNA evidence. And after two months of back and forth, the jury found him guilty and sentenced him to death on November 17, 2008. According to the prosecutor in the case, Anthony McKnight, who he described as a sociopath, laughed when the judge sentenced him. He remained steadfast in his innocence, and on October 17, 2019, after 33 years behind bars and while awaiting his execution, 65-year-old Anthony McKnight passed away of unspecified causes. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on January 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.